How's your how long have you been in isolation? This is day like 10, 10 or 11. Oh, wow. You were like ahead of the curve. Yeah, they let us start working from home last week. Yeah, me too. Well, I got sick. So you're supposed to stay home if you got sick. I was sick all last week. Oh, yeah. You got uh, sick with Fisher too. Yeah, every well, all three of us were sick. It was uh, not fun. No. Yeah, so what am I on? I, I came home sun, Sunday night, got sick Monday, got sick in the middle of the night, and then uh, haven't left until this morning when I went to go get groceries. So, And I don't plan to leave again until the next time I need groceries. So... Yeah, I went to I went to cookout uh, last week. That was my big endeavor because I just I I had to have a cookout shake and and a cheeseburger. So I went to cookout last week, and that was that's really been it. Can you get like Uber Eats to deliver that or no? No, I just went. Oh, it's all right. There's something about looking at that big cookout menu and choosing in the heat of the moment, what you want your tray to be and what you want your shake to be that to me brought back a sense of normalcy. Yeah, I get that. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I bought a giant bottle of rum at 7am in the morning today. That's, that's that's awesome. (laughs) Cause all they, they had like nothing left for beer. I bought a couple of very expensive bottles of wine, but, to be honest, most of our other expenses have gone out the window. So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, why not live a high life, right? So, like here, they they closed everything except essential businesses, and one of the essential businesses that they're keeping open is the state-run uh, liquor stores because every liquor store in Virginia is state-run. It's called a, the it's called the ABC store. Um, yeah. alcoholic beverage commission or whatever it's called here, but, uh, they're state run and yeah, they're considered essential businesses. So they will be open during the lockdown. Yeah. I think, I don't know. I, I know in Italy, tobacco shops were left open, <laughs> which kind of makes sense. Cause you can imagine if people are addicted to smoking <laughs> and it's like, you're locked away for four weeks, no smokes. Colorado's yeah. keeping the dispensaries open. I think that's a good way to pass the time. Yes. Because uh, <laughs> none of us are getting drug tested anytime soon. Smoke exactly. them if you got them. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, and I, I figured out the best way to uh, get out of a work meeting. You just go, oh man, my internet's really fritzy. I can't stay on this call. <laughs> Works like a does charm. That really, does that really work in the year of our Lord 2020 with as good as internet is for most of us? How many bad conference calls have you had this week? Every single one of mine begins with like 10 minutes. Someone doesn't know how to turn the mic on or off. It's like a total mess. Um, <laughs> someone starts talking when they're not supposed to, to like somebody off camera. It's all very bad. Hey everybody, welcome back to Rocks Across the Pond. It's a curling podcast. And before we get started, I just want to say a couple of things. Uh, First, we hope that you and yours are doing well in these times that we are experiencing. And the other thing is uh, we're about to spend about an hour talking about curling because it is a curling podcast. Um, Don't get... Don't get the wrong idea. We know for a fact that curling does not matter. Um, there are lives at stake, and that's why everybody is on lockdown, and it's why all events are getting canceled. But um, as the uh, as as the walls are kind of closing in on us, um, as we've we've been quarantined here, um, you know, please forgive us as we spend at least one hour thinking about something other than getting sick or whether we're going to have jobs a month from now or just uh, general existential dread. So 
we do want to talk about some curling just to, to take our minds off of everything that's going on in the world, but we hope that you're all doing well, staying safe and staying healthy. Um, coming to you from Richmond, Virginia, my name is Ryan McGee and joining me as always, our professor of Peel, Jonathan Havercroft in Southampton, England. Jonathan, are we having fun yet? Ryan, I just want to say this podcast has been doing social distancing since the beginning. That's true. We are trend setters. I think if, if, if our listeners are like me, my podcast consumption has gone up because there's only so many hours in a day you can look at CNN or BBC News and watch coronavirus death tolls go up. So hopefully we're going to give a little bit of escapism for people. We don't need to talk about coronavirus too much apart from how it affects the curling world. And I think like everybody, we're trying to figure out what all the social quarantine and social isolation means for, well, A, our lives, obviously, but B, also this podcast. But I think we're going to keep potting through it, primarily because there's not much else to do when you're stuck at home. Just to keep uh, myself so, sane, I hope we keep podcasting. Yeah, we'll just keep cranking out the content and uh, we'll figure out things to talk about. But uh, for this episode, at least, we've got uh, curling is canceled as the the starting point. And uh, a bunch of other stuff that's happened as a consequence of that. So we can kind of start off by working through that and then we'll see where, where the podcast takes us. So yeah. Like every other sport. Um, and I think uh, on, on Sunday, I think Australian rules football uh, was the last to finally, to finally call it quits. Uh, curling has shut it down. That includes, Curling Club of Virginia, my home club. I got the email actually last night. Last night was Monday. Um, last night was Monday the 23rd, and I got the the official notice that the rest of the season is off. We knew we were going to take at least a couple of weeks off because the rink was going to shut down. Uh, but last night we officially got the word that the rest of the season is over, and Jonathan, my team, finished 2-0, and so I'm going to claim the club championship, so I'm going to call Jostens and uh, order the rings. All right, so you're basically the Liverpool of um, Virginia curling. Uh, I guess so. Like, I, In <laughs> fact, you're better than Liverpool, because Liverpool finally lost the game, and then uh, the coronavirus hit, so you know. Yeah, we are at two and zero. We were the invincibles of Curling Club of Virginia. Yeah. All right. Good job, man. Another league championship. How about you? How many league championships have you won? Oh, uh, I don't know. This is. I guess if if I actually get to claim this, it'll be my first one in Virginia. Oh, so take two states. That's pretty good. Yeah, not bad. You've got like yeah. eight. You've got like eight, eight, eight well, different eight different associations. Uh, I probably right, I would it would take a while for me to count up all my club championships or club league championships. Yeah, but, but different leagues, different clubs. Well, uh, <laughs> you want me to go? Let's see, Montreal West. Uh, I don't think I ever won a league championship in Victoria. Uh, Saint Paul for sure. Um. Let me think. I want something on Vancouver. I at Port Coquitlam. I'm on the Port Coquitlam Wednesday League. <laughs> uh, Dallas. I won the Cardi Cup in Dallas. At least two out of the three years I was there. Um, we won, Ryan. You, me, and Alice, my wife, with Fred. We won at Oklahoma a couple times. Yep. Uh, and then, uh, so that's Oklahoma. Yeah, and then here. England. I've won a couple times in England too, so that's good. So not bad. Three different not countries. Bad. Three different countries. Yeah. Yeah. So I take it England. Uh, England can England canceled pretty early. Although you did get to participate in the mixed. Uh, what weekend was that? That was uh, two weekends ago. Oh, so that was the same weekend as those spiels that um, saw a couple of like mini outbreaks, right? Yeah, I was I was a bit so I got sick. I got I was I had to take the train back. So Kerr, who I was playing with, drove me down from Scotland. I got on the train north of London, took a train into London, 
And it, have you ever seen the movie 28 Days Later? London was like that on a Sunday night. It was a total ghost town. Like I was I was at London Waterloo at eight o'clock, which is normally a pretty busy time for train traffic. because a lot of people are doing the Sunday trip back home at the end of the weekend. And it was a ghost town. And wow. my train, my train's a 12 car regular, like it's 12 cars all the way from London to Southampton. So normally a train that size is normally pretty busy. There were two people on my car. It was just <laughs> total ghost town already. And uh, I got sick that night. Like I think in the middle of the night I threw up and then had a fever and was really like felt like terrible the next day. Called the doctor. They told me I had to self-isolate for seven days. Um, they actually checked back in on me, which was pretty nice this week. And the doctor basically said, okay, you're, you're clear of symptoms. You can, you can leave the house. And then uh, about two hours later, Boris Johnson issued a national quarantine. So. Oh, good. <laughs> that's post curling. That's how my post curling week's gone. The doctor was basically ninety nine percent sure it was not coronavirus. She said it was a stomach bug, but yeah. it was sensible to to self isolate because you had had a fever. And Alice got sick the next day, so and she shook it off pretty quickly too. But we've both been here basically for the last ten days. Yeah, because I guess the that same weekend. I mean, curling, curling got canceled just in the nick of time because we saw two like many outbreaks at different spiels that weekend of March 14th. There was a physician spiel in Calgary that I guess has seen a few positive tests in the days afterward. And then that same weekend, U.S. Club Nationals was played in Maryland. And there was a Facebook post that uh, Sarah Schuster, who was the lead on Duluth Curling Club's team, posted that she was experiencing symptoms and she was quarantined with her family, including uh, John Schuster. Um, so yeah, that was, I mean, it was the right call obviously to cancel things and, and, you know, maybe, maybe they should have canceled things earlier than they did. Uh, I mean, maybe I think it just moved so quickly, right? I think there yeah. wasn't, because that was the same weekend everything went down. That was the same weekend everything went down with NCAA basketball and the NBA and basically all American sports started canceling that Thursday. And by then, U.S. club nationals was um, – they were almost done with the whole whole tournament by the time everything started getting canceled. That was like Friday morning. That Thursday night was when the NBA said – that they were suspending. And then the next morning, basically in the middle of uh, conference tournaments, NCAA basketball started canceling. Yeah. And uh, I think it was the same thing here. Like the major sporting stuff started canceling that weekend. I actually remember on our drive up, Kerr and I were sitting down, we had a beer and we we're watching the Champions League match uh, that Liverpool got bounced on. And uh <laughs> I remember being a bit like, I guess I'm, I can swing towards the morbid, I'll admit. So I, I was kind of, my, my mantra all weekend was, I just want to enjoy this weekend because I think it's the last bit of fun I'm going to have for a while. Yeah. Uh, and I was right. I mean, the direction of travel was so obvious by that point that it's obvious we're headed towards major quarantines and shutdowns everywhere that I figured I may as well just play, have fun. Because we were a small group. It was just a six-team championship. So there weren't a lot of people at the rank um, so in a certain sense, the risk's a bit minimal, even compared to a regular size bond spiel, certainly compared to a NBA basketball game with 20,000 people, uh, for spread. But, uh, yeah, that, that was it. That's, that's the end of my season. <laughs> it's the end of yeah. your season. It's the end of everyone's season. Yeah. That's so, right. yeah. And that includes, you know, if you, it, it seems like it took a few days, but they finally did, um, cancel both the women's and men's worlds, which are the big, you know, the big end of season events that uh, everybody was looking forward to. But um, thankfully, those got canceled. The, the I guess the big question surrounding those, Jonathan, is what is that going to do for the Olympics? Uh, assuming, assuming we ever have live sports again, uh, and that the Olympic movement survives all of this. Um, if we do have the 2022 Olympics, how does the, how are the automatic bids gonna get gonna get calculated for that? Uh, I don't think anyone knows the the umpire at the ECA Nationals is John Brown, who's also 
um, one of the English Curling Association's delegates to um, the WCF. <laughs> and that was what he was fretting about, to be honest, on Sunday. I was watching the finals on Sunday with him, and he was he was already saying, yeah, that's going to be a big discussion at the WCF meetings, presumably in September. There's a whole set of questions, right? Because they just everyone just had to cancel in a panic, and I think yep. it's cancel now and then clean up the mess later. So question – sorry? Which is smart. Yeah, of course, obviously. Um, so question number one is do they rerun those events or are they simply not replaced? Um, question two is do they what, – what happens if those events simply stay canceled for next year? So – and this this will vary from member association to member association. But let's say there's no World Men's Championship this year or no World Women's Championship this year, the team Einerson and team Gushu just never got to go to a world championship because of that? Or did they get a right to challenge, say, the winner of the Scotties or Briar next year uh, to decide who goes to the Worlds? So that's, that's, that's right off the bat an interesting set of questions. And that'll, that'll probably be asked by every member association that, um, you know, people enter play downs for the chance to represent their country. And if that chance is taken away just because of, coronavirus is that fair or is that unfair to next year's competitors it's it's kind of raises some interesting questions there and as you're right the olympic qualification process is a mess right so if they don't run the championships um they'll have to figure out a new point qualifying system so assuming there is a championship next year i assume that might seed some teams but there'll probably be a push for a kind of a larger play-in tournament, I imagine, for the Olympics, which actually could be more interesting. I assume kind of creates a bit more opportunity for randomness and maybe gives a few smaller countries a better shot at getting in. Um, but uh, all that stuff's definitely still up in the air. I've had a lot of time to think about it, and I have an idea if they if they cancel it and don't play the 2020 Worlds. All right, what is it? All right, so... The way it is now is if you have, you get points based off of 2020 worlds, 2021 worlds, the top seven point getting nations from those two tournaments get the automatic bids to the, to the Olympics. And then there's another certain number of teams after that, that get an automatic bid to the Olympic qualification event before China. And then there's a pre-Olympic qualification event. And I think two teams from that get into the Olympic qualification event that then decides the two teams that are the last two teams in the Olympics. If you're only getting points off of 2021 Worlds, here's my idea. You only give three guaranteed spots from those 2021 Worlds. So the teams that finish first, second, and third, you're going to the Olympics along with China. And then you decide the other six spots at a expanded Olympic qualification event. So you run, you give teams or you get, you give the other nine to 10 teams, depending on how, depending on what China does, you give the other nine to 10 teams that are in worlds automatic bids to the Olympic qualification event you then use the pre-Olympic qualifier to get us to 14 teams. You run a round robin off of those teams. In the top seven, play a reverse ladder a la the WWE Royal Rumble for the remaining <laughs> Olympic spots. So you start with one versus two, and then the loser plays three, and then you keep going down until you have the loser of the last game playing the team that finished seventh for the last Olympic spot. It's basically the Royal Rumble, but with, but with curling. It seems like a lot of games. Yeah, but you would watch them. <laughs> Who, me? <laughs> <laughs> Probably, yeah. Especially if we're still in quarantine. Uh, <laughs> Everything played behind um, closed doors. I mean, it's, I think there's definitely talk about that with a lot of pro sports is... Um, if you could just kind of play it behind closed doors with the athletes, um, why not? And that gives people something to watch. I, I imagine there's a chance some of these events will be scaled back. Might even we might even see some world championships held at, at curling clubs. 
uh, like men's and women's world championships that are normally played in stadiums just to simply save cost and keep the scale more manageable. So that, that could be something to watch out for. I think one thing I've seen before that, before they think of even making that an option for, for live sports is one for testing to be more widely available. And then I guess they're, they're also working on a test for COVID-19 that you get the results, not instantaneously, but almost like within minutes rather than as long as it, it currently takes. Um, and then that way you could test everybody before they go out and play. And mm. if they, if they get to that point, then they would, they would be able to do behind closed doors games. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of ifs <laughs> before we get yes. to get back to playing. It'll be but months. I mean, I think that's going to yeah. be a big, uh, big question to ask, right? That a lot of, you know, everything was canceled in the end in a certain sense. I mean, we, we missed out on the, the championships, which to me, that's kind of sad because my favorite part is the world championships, but we also missed out on the silly season, which is like all the slams after the championships, which to be honest, I'm not a huge fan of. I'd rather they just personally, if I was in charge of curling, it would be women's worlds, men's worlds, players championship, turn off the lights. Let's be done. But uh, I, I don't like all the extra stuff that goes on after after that. I kind of got the sense that the players don't really either. But, yeah. Um, I, I don't get why they don't do something like move the champions cup to the front of the season, but that's uh, I guess that's another discussion for another day. Yeah, that'd be cool. And then that's the event that they yeah. could test out, test out rules like they did for a little bit with the elite 10. That'd be the, that from what I've read, the players prefer that if you're going to do some rules testing to do it at the very beginning of the season. Um, and that's kind of why I think the last elite 10 of of it, of the elite tens existence was played was played at the beginning of the season. Um, so yeah, that moving the, having the champions cup be your, be your kind of first big tournament and maybe do some fun things there might, might make it more fun. Yeah. And, and a, a bit more of a diverse field and it's a bit like the NIT in basketball where, uh, they kind of invite good teams from the previous year, right? What's the, what's the name of the, not the NIT they do at the end of the season. What's the one they do at the start of the season? The NIT. The NIT also. So <laughs> yeah, there's a, the, there's a preseason the, NIT. Yeah. yeah, so that's the one where the teams that didn't make the previous year's championship that are good get invited, or how do they work that one? No, it's just, um, those preseason tournaments are all kind of random. Um, it, it really doesn't matter what you did the year before. They they kind of, those those early season early season tournaments like um like the Maui like the Maui Invitational the preseason in IT they kind of they're they're filling their um they're filling their brackets with teams that'll be that'll draw eyes on television that's exactly what they do with the Champions Cup too don't make this crazy qualification thing i i think invite the previous year's world junior champions cuz that's always an interesting wrinkle you know, invite the most, invite the 13 most, thir the 32 most interesting teams, like this, the most interesting six, make it like 16 sponsors invites across <laughs> the board, you know, <laughs> let Jared Allen's team get a spot. <laughs> I don't know if I'd go uh, that far. Well, oh, they did. Do you they... want to see like Cooey versus Jared Allen? I would actually watch that. Like in, in tackle football. <laughs> could be could be like a duathlon like start off with uh start off i mean that'd be an interesting one because you still got you got uh <clears throat> i mean you got like jared allen plays some curling you got uh uh kevin cooey kevin cooey playing quarterback <laughs> kevin cooey playing quarterback you got benny heaves the fullback yeah you know, so let's see let's see uh <laughs> let's see benny heaves try to uh Try to chip block Jared Allen to keep him from getting to Cooey. <laughs> that that I would pay to see. That would make an interesting preseason event. And play yes. it and play it in Summerside PEI. Yes, it's in perfect. August. <laughs> in August, yeah. All right. Uh, speaking, speaking of team, uh, speaking of team Cooey, oh, like in sync, Ryan. I know, like great. Yeah. Great job, Jonathan. That's uh, you. I see you've been working on your transitions. 
I I have been. I'm being drilled by the master. Oh God. Uh, speaking of Team so, Kui, they have a new team member. They do. An old team member. Yeah, this is kind of interesting to me. I mean, I I, I, I get it. John Morris wants to play in the Olympics again, but um, why why bring him in to play second? Mm. Well, I think... I, I, I know the Game of Stones guys have been saying this, and I've been saying it too, is that as good a player as Colton Flash is, he's not quite the caliber of the other three members of that squad, right? The the other three are all high 80s, maybe even 90s shooters. Colton Flash is, you know, probably lower 80s shooting. And he, he's it's kind of been clear over the last two years to me, and I think to a lot of other people too, that he's just not quite fitting into the team. Um John Morris, I think I, I'm not terribly surprised. If you actually go back to some of our earlier podcasts, I I was always skeptical that John Morris would uh, sit out the full quad. I think everyone I think, was. Yeah, I think this is basically his mo for the last well since at least 2013. Right? It's kind of he kind of just waits his turn, picks his spot, and uh, picks the team, and he's kind of of the caliber that he can pick any team that he wants. Um. The interesting thing to me is that if you'd asked me at the end of the last quad what the team would have been, I would I would have bet money on Cooey, Kennedy, Johnny Moe, and Benny Heebs, which is basically a revamp sans Benny Heebs of John Morris's kind of early competitive team before he joined forces with Kevin Martin. So I was about to say that's basically that I mean, that's the that's the team that won with Martin. Yeah, it's the team that won with Martin minus Cooey, and Cooey used to play third for Morris when he was skipping in Alberta back in the early 2000s. So they're all buddies. They've all won. Um, you could probably line it up any which way between Cooey, Morris, and Kennedy, but um, that that to me would be the most interesting team. So I, I, I'm not saying BJ Neusfeld should watch out, but... <laughs> If I was playing curling general manager, the trade I would make is BJ Newfeld, the next two Alberta provincial champions for uh, Mark Kennedy, <laughs> and so uh, that and that would be the team that that you know I would pick to to win the Olympic gold. Uh, so that, I guess you can't quite do that in curling, but um, I'm I wouldn't be surprised if something like that kind of came down the pipeline too. So it's kind of crazy. The two teams that last um, represented Canada at the Olympics, both making changes this close to this year's Olympics because Homan also makes a change. Uh, Lisa Weigel is out. Joanne Courtney is now playing lead and they added Sarah Wilkes from Team Carey and Chelsea Carey, uh, who won Canada um, 13 months ago, um, is currently without a team, it seems. Yeah, that's, I mean, I, I was, okay, I'm less, let's, let's pick, pick it apart step by step because that was, the, the thing that was stunning is Lisa Weigel being cut. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, um, the, I guess it's kind of hard, it's hard to know why without, uh, I mean, we can kind of suppose a bunch of things, develop a bunch of hypotheses, but the statements were all very tight-lipped. So, I was stunned for sure about that. I was less stunned about the Colton Flash thing. I I almost sensed that it was coming for for a while. Um, this I think was a complete stunner. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if Team Holman gets better with that move, but um, who knows what's going on? You never know what's going on in the team dynamics. Uh, I I would not have picked Lisa Weigel to be the the weak link on that team, um, and. Uh, It'll be interesting. I think it's also going to be interesting to see Joe and Courtney move down from second to lead because I, th- I tend to think of her as more of a hitter than a, a finesse player. And so, you know, she'll, she'll have to make an adjustment there with her her, her kind of shot making too. Can she replicate the tick shot that Lisa Weagle is so famous for? I think there's a bunch of interesting questions about that. And I'm, I'm less convinced that that maneuver gets you to the podium uh, in, I guess, 18 months time we're talking now than... Um, bringing in Johnny Mo, but that's just me. Well, even in Five Rock, second has become a little bit more finesse than than it was under the Four Rock rule. 
Yeah, no, I'm not. She's not. I mean, look, she's like one of the you know best players on the planet. So she's going to be able to make a draw. It's not like you're just taking your club <laughs> league player who's like can only throw hits, and if you ask them to hit paint, they're normally hitting the bumper. Like it's not. It's not like that. But there's a reason the tick shot's called the weagle, right? And so to take to take a person off a team who's kind of established their name for for kind of having the shot that is the shot that that position demands these days and for a decade gave the home and team such a massive advantage in uh elite curling um is totally stunning to me right it's 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 well, it's almost as stunning as uh, brady leaving the patriots but you know it's uh, that yeah. kind of level of shock right um so that's the first part of it I, I mean, Sarah Wilkes is a good player. She's obviously won um, a Scotties. I think she'll fit in really well at the second spot. Um, so from that sense, I think it's it makes sense. But I, I don't see it as an upgrade. At best, it's a lateral move, and it's potentially, uh, you know, um, a potentially a, it could backfire, I think, just given the amount of time it'll take the team to figure things out. The fact that you're replacing someone who is so good at that position i'm i'm just not sold on it and so we did we it's one of these cases where there's probably more to it than we know or will know uh, oh, you know yeah. there's probably something about more about the team dynamics issue or some other rationale for it um it, you know the only other thing that kind of came to mind and again this is purely speculation is that effectively even though the team's eligible to play out of ontario um, they're mostly based in Alberta, so maybe it was kind of just a training thing that it made more sense to have an Alberta-focused team. But again, that's pure speculation on my part. Uh, so I, I just don't get the maneuver, but we'll see if it pays off. Yeah, that's a good that's a good point because um, now the only who's who's now the only Ontario-based player is is Emma Miskew, I guess. Yeah. So I'm sure I'm yeah. sure that's going to make I'm sure that's going to make every, every everyone in Ontario happy. But that's, uh, but, that's I mean, <laughs> they, I mean, but that's the way it is with the with the birthright rule now, though. I mean, I think that's we've we've already spoken about that. I think this is basically inevitable now. I I, I do think watching this year's Briar particularly, it it's become obvious to me that the long term effect of this birthright rule is. Actually, every province might end up with a super team, but maybe only one or two max. And that what will happen is people will exploit all the different rules, find a province where it's easy to be a slam team and, and win. So, you know, it sounds, you know, Brian Cochran certainly rink is certainly isn't a slam team, but they're they're seniors team, world senior champs. But they're also historically like a very good competitive men's team. And I think there's nothing to stop, say, a younger a team, say in their 20s or 30s, to kind of do the Gushu thing of use PEI as a vehicle to constantly qualify for the Briar, be a slam qualifying team, and uh, kind of build up from there, right? And kind of, kind of one obvious name there is Brett Gallant. I think Brett Gallant's PEI, right? Yeah. Adam Casey's PEI. So that's like that's two very good curlers tied to PEI. I wouldn't be surprised if at the end of this quad that that might emerge as a potential is a kind of nucleus of a potential PEI super team. And you could almost imagine that happening in every single province in Canada. And in a weird way, what you end up with is professional curling where each province has one or two pro teams and really not much depth underneath, but we'll see. I think that's, it's kind of the unintended consequence of birthright. I could see, uh, I could see Galan. I could see Gushu. Honestly, I could see him taking a step back after this quad and Galant, being the guy that takes over that team, although that would be interesting, that would be interesting um, dynamic there with Mark Nichols because you have you have two players on that team that could skip that team if if Gushu were to decide at the end of this quad that he's he's done with with playing as much as requires to be a competitive curler in Canada. Yeah, I, it's inter- I don't know how long people. It's an interesting question, right? How long do you go for? Do you do the? My hunch is Gushu is more like a Kevin Martin. I'm going to go out, if not on top, at least pretty close to on top. Yeah, not a Glenn Howard. Uh, you know, slowly fade away. Not that Glenn's kind of faded away, but he's obviously not. You know, he's not not where he was, say, a decade ago. Um, 
although although now that I now that I think of it, you know, I kind of thought of Gushu as as that kind of guy that maybe at the end of this quad he says, "Okay, I'm done traveling as much as requires." But I think now now that I think of it, I think getting to play in getting to play in the mixed doubles play down with his daughter might have I know that might have energized him. Maybe even that may have energized that honestly that may have energized him even more so than winning a third briar. That's my hot take for this podcast. <laughs> I I would not be surprised. I, I think there was there was an interview that 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 Brad gave kind of midweek in the Briar, and he kind of said something like, "I'm playing with house money now. I've won everything I want to win." And as soon as he said that, I saw that clip. I'm like, "That's very dangerous." Like the the number of other people, probably the only other person in that headspace is Kevin Cooey, who probably has won everything he wants to win but an olympic medal yeah and it's like all the other guys are as good as brad that are as good as brad gushu kind of matching shot for shot so someone like like mike McEwen, you know he's desperate desperate to win a briar brad gushu's kind of, he's not like oh it'd be nice to win he's not like i don't care but when you when you feel like you have to win you start putting more pressure on yourself mm-hmm. and you tend to implode whereas if you think ah i've already done this so i know i can do it and I don't have to do it. That makes you very dangerous. And I actually, I agree with you that playing with his daughter probably meant a lot. He's probably thinking, you know, maybe seven, eight years down the road, his daughter's kind of completed juniors and kind of got the full skill set. There's a good chance they could be, you know, qualifying for the Olympics or something. And that, that would probably That'd be pretty cool to bit. see. I mean, I mean, that's basically what, what Glenn Howard's been doing for the last four or five years, right? Playing with Scott. So same kind of thing. If you can do it with your family and uh, compete at a high level, why not? Assuming you like your family, yeah. of course. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, we'll see after after <laughs> after after they've all been quarantined together here for however many days. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see if they're still Just... looking to play with each other. <laughs> why Why are we seeing so many changes this close to the Olympics? Is Is that weird to see? Because I don't I don't think I remember seeing this much movement this close to the last Olympics. I. I don't know. It's a, it's an interesting question. Um, so observe, you know, I, I, when Cooey put his team together in the last reshuffle, my first reaction was, heh, like it was not like BJ Newfeld made sense. I was like, that's a very slick pickup at third sticking with Benny Heaves. He's the best kind of lead in the game. So why not? Um, the Colton flash thing, I was like, he's good, but I was kind of like, you've just won the, the Olympic trials. You've won the Briar. I, I, there's kind of, aren't there other people on the board? So I, I always felt that team was shaky. Um, it could be with the Holman team that, you know, there is such a thing as a shelf life to a team. And maybe what's happened there is they've just reached their shelf life, right? They've basically been that lineup. So when, when did, uh, when did Joanne Courtney replace Ali Kreviazek? Was that 2014, 2015? It actually, it feels like forever ago, which is weird because I don't think it was that long ago. But yeah, it was, uh, yeah, 2014 sounds right. Yeah. So that's six years, which to be honest, for a competitive team is a really long run, right? So maybe maybe this is just their way of doing a refresh. Um, The Chelsea Carey thing, to be honest, I mean, she... She goes through teams quickly, and so it's probably just a personality thing. She's a pretty passionate player, and you know that can be that can kind of go both ways, right? I think I think that's with Chelsea Carey. That just is her way. Like she she rides that when she's on and her team's clicking, they ride that emotional energy all the way to championships. And you know, two Scotties at a, an Olympic trials finals, nothing to scoff at, right? But I, that can also kind of go the other way. And she certainly has kind of crashed. Um, crashed out too in some high profile ways too so i think that just she just might be the kind of player who needs to kind of churn a bit more quickly and there's, there's lots of other curlers like that too who've been successful as well so i don't think there's a right or a wrong way what a wonderful transition jonathan because we also saw a team change here in the u.s oh yeah so <laughs> what's the dirt from america um so Jamie Sinclair's team, uh, which is that was a five person team. They have 
um, made a made the decision to move on from from Jamie Sinclair. So she is currently a free agent. She went on the From the Hack podcast with Frank Rock, um, and that was actually a really enlightening conversation that they had. So she she's off of that team, which I assume is going to be skipped by Corey Christensen now. Um, so she's a free agent. She is not out of the USA curling high performance program. Um, and she's, she said on, from the hack that she's been in conversations with USA curling about potential team members. Cause she would like to be on the third team. Um, I don't think, I don't think she's going to be on, on team Roth, uh, next year. Um, so talked about playing on that third team and potential team members, but also said that she's keeping her options open uh, with regards to potentially playing in Ontario. But I, I cannot see that happening. Her her goal is the Olympics and her best bet is still USA curling for that by far. Yeah, it's that's her best bet, although she's not she'd certainly in ontario be a, like a top competitive team there too i mean getting past holman would obviously be very challenging like if she were to put together a team based on ontario next year i would not see her beating um holman or certainly wouldn't be the favorite in a matchup like that but she's she's been playing at a high level on tour with the full back in the U S high performance program for the last f- three, four years. So that, that ups your game significantly. Um, she, she knows all the stuff. She's got a lot of international experience. Um, I, I'm not even sure she'd be the second best team in Ontario, but she'd certainly be a top 10 team in Ontario could certainly kind of go out, put together a team, grind it out in the Ontario curling tour and uh, do that. Now, there's probably less perks in doing that, right? It's a bit, you're, you're kind of going back, one level in uh, kind of stature, support, resources, all of that. But she's got a name, so she could probably put together a sponsorship practice pretty quickly. She may not even be picked up. She may not even skip. I, I, I'm sure there's a lot of competitive women's teams in Ontario that would love to grab her, say, at the vice position. And so if she's willing to change positions, you know, that would that would kind of open up a lot of opportunities for her too. So I wouldn't, I, I'm not, again, I don't really worry all that much about her long-term about finding a team. Uh, too good a curler to kind of stay a free agent for long. Um, what role do you think Derek Brown, no longer being with the USA Curling High Performance Program, plays in what her future is with USA Curling? I think I haven't heard anything. Have you heard anything about who the new high performance director is? Nothing. Yeah, I haven't heard. No, I've heard nothing too. So I think that really matters because there's there's two. As we said before in this podcast, there's really two philosophies out there: the the kind of handpicked team one or the coach picked team one, and the and the kind of more competitive play down one. And I think that question matters the most, I'd say. Um, you know, if you bring in a Soren Grand, he probably, I don't know, I, it depends on how he assesses her talent, but he's probably, he would probably, he, he likes that kind of hand form the teams himself. And so uh, I, I would be surprised if he threw her kind of away completely. Uh, he'd probably kind of look for options in terms of how to build a team again. It could very well be that those new teams get reshaken up anyway. If it goes more to, say, a Canadian playdown style, then um, I think you'll see a lot more team movement in the U.S. You might see a lot more kind of juggling, especially on the women's side. I think that the top two men's teams are pretty set, but um, there could be a, a bit more shakeup on the women's side. We haven't spoken about the, the last shocker, which is where Regal landed. Oh, Yeah. Heading that was Manitoba. Shocker, that was. Uh, was it? All right. So my, if you'd asked me my kind of sneaky, and again, this is, you know, knowing nothing, stuck here in Southampton in quarantine with no intel. But as soon as I heard that Sinclair was a free agent and Weagle was a free agent and knowing they both have Ottawa ties, I was like, ah, that's like, that's half a curling team. That's half a good yeah. curling team. I have no idea if they'd kind of partner up, but when I'm thinking team formation, I like to think lead skip. I kind, I, I, my view is basically you can find uh, middle two players fairly 
kind of easily. I call them, you know, you know, three and D in basketball. I call them sweep and hit guys, okay. <laughs> like guys who can sweep and hit things. There's a lot of guys <laughs> like that out there. Finding someone who's willing to play the lead position is good at judging weight, uh, wants to embrace that position, has a good sense of touch. That's a very hard player to find. And Weagle's one of the best of the games. And finding someone who's got a good track record, winning a skip, can call the game, is confident throwing the last rock, which Jamie Sinclair has. That's very hard to do, too. So my, my thought was actually, oh, that might make an interesting pairing. That that kind of obviously went nowhere and shows how little <laughs> how little inside info I have. The JJ move was just a shocker, but also I think diabolically kind of genius play. It's, it's basically, as I said to you, it's Belichick ass. This is the kind of thing that Bill Belichick oh, yeah. do. Yeah, he's yeah. one of Belichick's things is he brings in players specifically to get um, whatever propri- proprietary things it was that that whoever's beating him was doing yeah and so i bet you that's half of what jj wants um i don't will the rotation works the obvious question i i don't my my first thought is i could almost see team jen jones east and team jen jones west like basically when they're out west it's dawn when they're out east it's it's lisa weagle and they kind of split their weekends up that way um but again that's just pure speculation on my part Uh, it i don't know if it's um like kind of what their long-term plans are there, but uh, they must have made her a, an offer that was too good to refuse. She she definitely wouldn't have just taken an op- opportunity to sit on the bench. So I, th- I think Weagle still wants to play. She's in the prime of her career. Um, but it, it makes makes her a kind of an interesting team there. So I, it, it makes sense. In the way that the home and one puzzles me a bit, that Jen Jones grabbing Weagle, I think I was like, that's very sneaky smart. One thing, all right, so here's a question that I've never thought to ask you on this podcast. One of the things that we hear a lot when we watch games on TV and even when I listen to interviews with other people um, on other podcasts is you hear just people casually mention, oh, there's a lot of things that Team Homan does that they kind of keep a secret that they consider proprietary. What could that be? And what competitive advantage could you get off of bringing Lisa Weagle into your team? Because it's, if it's something as simple as how how they throw rocks, I mean, that doesn't affect the way you throw your rock. Like, what 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 secret things could they possibly be doing um, that over the course of the last 10 years of her being on tour hasn't gotten out anyway? Could they possibly get off of bringing uh, Weagle onto the team? <laughs> I don't know. Oh, okay. <laughs> Rob is a very funny story from last year's Ontario's where I guess another team had kind of scouted out the rocks that team Homan were uh, playing on his sheet. And he was using that set for the next draw. So he did, he took, he took the rock pairings and kind of used that as the basis for his team. Then he says he got into the game and he realized pretty quickly that their pairings would each player would have a straight stone and a cutter stone. So they basically they weren't selecting perfectly matched stones. They wanted a set of stones that let them do different things at different times. So have a straight stone if you want to play a run back, have the cutter if you want to play the come around. Uh, and so, you know, most teams when they match stones are trying to get each player with a matched pair that behaves pretty similarly. Turns out the Holman team, at least on this day, was using um try to get kind of get a set of stones that weren't matched they could use them for different purposes so that's something that very few teams do and it's a pretty next level skill set so uh you know learning those kinds of techniques or the ways they approach things that could certainly be useful for a team of jen jones's caliber and give them a big advantage okay (laughs) right so he's like oh that would have been useful information like he assumed they just matched the stones normally Uh (laughs) uh-huh and actually one of the things they do is each player has a cutter and each each player has a straight stone. Fascinating. That that to me is like that's like next level stuff, right? That that's um that it's like stuff like that, right? That I like I know that the things that I know about them just from kind of gossip, I guess, is um, at least in the Ottawa Curling Club, they have the home and sheet where the stones have all been textured and the sheets set up like championship ice and so they're practicing every day on championship ice conditions we know from tv they talk about what release are you going to throw right it's always straight through or they've got different releases so they have different releases for different situations um i think that's a lot of that kind of stuff 
uh, it sounded like they were kind of really at the cutting edge on analytics uh, for the last cycle, kind of doing a lot of stuff about analyzing not just the basic analytics, um, but but doing stuff like, you know, one of the things that Adam Kingsbury in an interview let slip is that they had identified the fact that the second had the least correlation with the outcome of the game in terms of shooting percentage, right? So that's kind of an interesting fact. That, you, the kind of, that kind of confirms an old kind of bit of curling wisdom that you can hide a weak shooter at the second spot. You probably want your best sweeper there, your, your strongest sweeper there, if you will. Um, but actually, the lead position matters a lot in terms of shooting percentage. Uh, a lot of club teams, at least, kind of think the opposite. They normally put their weakest player at lead and think those stones don't matter. But if you have someone who send the table, the other team's chasing all the time. So I, that's my sense of the kinds of things they do. Um, it, it is kind of noticeable that whenever they get a sub, it's not one of the, you know, so-called, quote-unquote, star players, right? That oh, yeah. A, a lot of teams will, you know, like Schuster's like, oh, we, we can't have, a, who who did Johnny Moe sub for when he played in the slam for Team Schuster? Um, right? I thought it was Schuster. Yeah, maybe it was Schuster, but they're just like, let's get Johnny Moe, or they had Pat Simmons, right? Like, it was games. Schuster because Schuster was at World Mixed Doubles, and they had Johnny yeah, Moe, they had Johnny right? Moe um, skip. Yeah, a, a lot of these teams, they'll just be like, you know, just bring in another good player from another team if they're not playing, right? Like, Anna Hasselberg brought in Eve Muirhead, right? Yes. Muirhead and Hasselberg are like the top two rivals in Europe. There's no way that Homan's bringing in Jen Jones, right? And the, Hasselberg wasn't worried about Eve, Eve stealing their proprietary information. They're just like, just come skip for me. So um, that, you know, I think that that does raise questions about what's Jen Jones going to kind of kind of poach and even if she doesn't poach much there's almost a reverse psychology there like now i know your secrets even no even just knowing what what who on that team's insecure about what that might just kind of lessen the home and mystique for team jones right interesting all right so that's that would be the reason behind uh bringing in lisa weed and then is it also a um is it also kind of a, a move to get into into Rachel's head. Well, who knows? I don't know. Um, I think one, th- you know, the other, the other thing is it keeps a really good player off the table, right? There's, if it's, it's so competitive, it's not just only about Homan, but it stops another team. I don't know. That's pretty good from going and poaching her. It stops Chelsea Carey say from poaching her at lead or whatever, right? It stops another potential rival from grabbing that player. And and I think as this gets more professional, teams are going to think about how can I maximize that alternate position? Because so far, it's normally just been a drinking buddy. Sorry? I was about to ask, so are we going to see more five-person teams? Or are we going to see that happen more often where you consolidate? Like, I want to consolidate all the talent. Like, I don't want, I want that guy as part of my five-person team because I don't want him playing against me at Provincials. I mean, it could be. I, I think, you know, in so, if Broomgate taught us anything, it's that we don't know anything about curling, <laughs> right? And, and there's a lot of stuff that we do just because. And, you know, I, all right, here's a more goofy thing. I, I doubt I'll see Jones do this, but in baseball, right, you have a closer. Who's the best closer in curling? Lisa Weagle. So maybe oh, Weagle rides the bench. And then in the eighth end, you bring Weagle in. She just throws six straight tick bombs. Game over, right? She's the Mel- she's the <laughs> she's the closer. Oh wow! She's right? Lisa Weagle becomes the Mariana Rivera of of curling. Yeah, Mariana <laughs> Rivera. See JJJ make the gesture. For, I think I think uh, Weagle's a righty, so makes the right arm gesture. <laughs> and then in comes Weagle. Throws two ticks. <laughs> the game's the over. Everyone go home. <laughs> Exactly. Throw, Why not? Throws her throws her two cutters. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just like Rivera. <laughs> yeah, why not? And then, you know, just change the stones up. I, I mean there's there's a whole bunch of things that as soon as you start thinking a little bit outside the box become possible. Um you know, there's a case to be made for why not rotate the front end if you're playing if you're playing a 14 game slog at the Briar. Yeah. You know, why not just say, okay, we've got three world-class players in front end, and if they're all comfortable rotating, then if you're rotating them, you kind of cut down the sweep load uh, and kind of vary the lineup maybe as it suits your opponents. You know, why not? 
Yeah, especially uh, now that you have a 16-team field at the Briar and a 13-team field at Worlds. Um, yeah, just the, the, I think that's one of the things that all the players kept saying as to why they wanted eight ins instead of ten. So, yeah, that makes that makes sense. Yeah, so why not? That's another way to use a, a five-person rotation. Um, so I, I, I'll, I think I'll be curious to see how Team Jones does it. I th- thought it was very forward-thinking. Certainly the most interesting thing of all these kerfuffles. So, so since yeah. um, since everyone is uh, is cutting their team, are you going to do the same thing, Jonathan? Are we? Are you? Or is is Rob going to cut all of you? Uh, I, I'll get cut probably, but <laughs> well, <laughs> I've been cut before. although I mean, <laughs> like you just said, the the second impacts the game the least. <laughs> exactly. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of useless, so I'm probably gone. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I would say do not do it right now until the quarantine is over. And there's a, there's a couple of reasons for that. <laughs> you know, um, I think, first of all, just don't, don't get stir crazy and send a bunch of angry texts to your teammates while you're kind of been locked up for three weeks. It's, that's not a good headspace to be in. Um, I don't know. I think I think it depends on the level, right? I, I think the the elite teams are clearly operating at a pro level, so that there's probably got to be significant cash payouts to people based off kind of what the teams made. I, I don't know if there's contracts in place with some of these high level teams, but certainly the amount of money that's starting to swing around, they're probably if there isn't yet, there's going to be very soon. Because if one of these breakups isn't handled properly, I could see lawyers getting involved very quickly. That would be, that would be, you know, I've talked a lot about how curling is in an adolescent stage where it's not quite a professional sport and it's not quite a mom and pop sport. That would be the day that, that curling officially becomes a professional sport is when you have a former team member sue his former team. That would, that would be the day that, that it is okay. This is, this is a pro sport now. (laughs) I, I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of the team, the home and team, especially, right? They've, they've got a camp. They've, they've got a lot of, you know, as they say in the media, sports media business, they've got a lot of properties, right? It's yeah. not just show up to a bond spiel, pay your entry fee, divide up the winnings, it's sponsorship, it's costs, it's event appearances. Um, so I don't, I don't know what goes on the backside there, but, but it, you know, it's, it's certainly getting to the point for the pro teams where that kind of becomes an issue. I mean, in all seriousness, I think it kind of depends uh, why you want to break your team up and uh, what you hope to get out of it. It's kind of the two two big questions um, you got to ask yourself. And and the grass is always greener on the other side, right? So if there's always a ten, you know, you're looking over at sheet three, sexy second over there who can throw the big weight, <laughs> and then you're stuck with the, the guy who's kind of starting to drive drive you a bit nuts after four years together. That can always be. Uh, the beginning of the end of any curling team relationship, but um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I think I don't know why. It depends on your level. Are you going to break up your two and O curling club of Virginia team? No, no. Why not? Um, because I have no say in who is on my team. That is done kind of by the board because we 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 don't have enough curlers and we have so many new curlers that doing self-formed teams is really bad for business. So they just kind of say, okay, y'all are curling together. It's cool. Unless unless I have the opportunity to get on the team with the brewmaster, um, that, that would be the only way that I would leave. Okay. <laughs> so you can be bought. You can, can be bought. bought. I can be bought. Everyone yes. can be bought. Everyone's everyone's always one phone call away from leaving their team. Yep. I will say you um you had the when you cut me from your team at Oklahoma Curling Club, you had the absolute uh best way of doing it in that um I'm sure that this was a lie. Um, but at the time it just made me feel really good about everything was you called me and said, uh, the board of directors said that our team is too good and I have to play on a team with someone other than you. Um, I thought that was a fantastic lie and I really appreciate it. I thought that was the best way. That's by far the best way that anyone has ever fired me. <laughs> oh, that was true. <laughs> That was Ron and Sharon kind of got in my grill about our, because our team was destroying everyone 14, 14 nil. So it was, we were, we were a good team. I think we won back to back, right? Uh, yeah, I, th- I think so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, we were we 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 repeated. We were a strong team. We still got to play together later on. Yeah, we know? yeah for spiels. I think I think how you do it's important. So I think the cold texts like "Yo, I'm out of here." Maybe either a phone call or a nice email. Uh, nice is the way to do it. <laughs> well, you know, depends on the situation, right? Um, I think. You know, I I know some people are like really precise. It's like, oh, you've got to all sit down, yeah, um, meet in person. <laughs> I'm like, it's not. I think some people take it way too seriously. A curling team is not no. a relation. Well, it's a relationship, but it's not a marriage. It's not, you know, whatever. Um, so, yeah, I, I and it's kind of you know, I think the way the way most of these teams have broken up, it sounds like they just gave the person a call and said, look, we're going a different direction. Uh, it's been great playing with you see you later. And I think that's kind of enough and everyone can kind of move on uh, from there. I think I, this is obviously the time to do it. And I, I think for me personally, it's not, I thought you just, I, I, you literally just said now is not the time to do it until the quarantine ends. Well, okay. Like, yes. Like I, I stand by that. The quarantine is changing ago. everything. Yes. <laughs> you know, I stand by that. I don't think you should, I think you should wait until after the quarantine. You know, I think, uh, <laughs> You know, there's two. We're basically all in prison, and there's too much time to think in prison. And you can, your mind can take you to weird places. Um, but that's kind of like I'm sure everyone's like, oh yeah, everybody's locked down. I'm sure the podcasts are about to be great. It's like no, if you ever listened to no. um, any of the interviews that that Tupac did, like he talked about when Tupac got sent to prison, they said everyone said, oh, he's about to have like the greatest album ever, and Tupac said, no, you lose your will to live. Like. I, I had no creative energy at all. And that's kind of how I feel right now. Yes. I, I was I was listening to another podcast where the guy was like, my most important advice to you is if you're sheltering in place with your girlfriend, do not propose to her. <laughs> this is not the time to make a lifelong commitment. <laughs> so I think that's the same for curling. If you're locked in place with your curling team, do not commit to the next season. Don't break up. Just stay chill. Say, we'll pick it up after the apocalypse is over. Uh, you know, there's still, still plenty of chance to figure out what's going on after we get through uh, this crazy period in our history. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. How are how are how are we coping with with the quarantine? Because um, I, I I missed. I'm out. a bit jealous. I know. I am too. Like I missed this, out. There's been a lot of cool stuff going on. Um, I think for me, um, like my work got crazy because I'm. Uh, I work at a university. I'm in charge of the teaching programs for my department. And we basically have to figure out on the fly how to move all, all 30 of our undergraduate courses, our, our two master's degrees and our PhD program all online remotely when everyone's working from home and has no access to anything. It's just kind of like, <laughs> so that, that's kind of turned into a very weird uh, work thing. And I also I don't know if I don't know if you found this, but I actually find the fact that there's no divide between work and home is starting to grind. Like working from home one one day a week, even two days a week is kind of pleasant. But when it's every day, you get out of bed and your laptop's there with your emails piling up already, and you you kind of never really know when to shut it off at night. That can I find that kind of really tough. How about you? Uh, it's it's fine. It's it's honestly. There, there hasn't really been a new normal yet because all three of us were at home sick all last week. Um, so I was having to do work and be miserable and take care of a sick 10 month old, um, which we weren't, so we couldn't take him to daycare. Now we've, we've kind of decided we're not taking him to daycare. So, uh, Grandma and grandpa are going to watch him a couple days a week. So that once we, like, I really don't even have, I'm already starting to have the walls close in on me and I'm not even into a new routine yet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know. It's it's kind of crazy. Um, so, but some of the stuff online looked cool. Like, yeah. uh, I, I wish I'd seen that. I wish I'd be able to participate in the virtual broom, broom stacking party that Palmetto Curling Club organized. Same here, but I felt terrible. That was like fun. <laughs> that was a, like, that was like a peak, peak horrendousness. I think the time difference is a bit tricky for me, but if the next one... Next one uh, works at a time for me. I'll try to hop into that for a bit. Or you could just take a nap um, and be up at 3 a.m. and just enjoy life. 
Yeah. You only live, you only live, <laughs> with, you only live once, Jonathan. You only get quarantined. Hope well. Yeah. Hopefully, you only get quarantined once uh, every yeah, hundred every hundred years. Nothing, nothing wilder than drinking at home and staring into a computer seat in the morning. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, I'm trying um, to find maybe. Yeah, I'm trying to find my N64, uh, which had I had the Nagano Olympics game back when I had an N64 when I was a youth, um, and that was one of my first introductions to curling. Was the Nag the really really awful Nagano Olympics N64 game had curling, um, so I've been trying to find that, um, and if I find that, that might that'll that'll scratch my curling itch. Yeah, I saw they had a bond spiel online too. They did, which uh, Matt Dunstone won. <laughs> All right. Uh, I got the feeling that he probably practiced that a lot in preparation for that bond spiel. Well, it sounds like they like would play that game a lot when, like, whenever that game came out, he was in a group that that played it all the time. Okay. I've never played it. Is it any good? I have no. I've never played it. I've. Only, I saw it. Um, it looked fine. It looked better than any. Yeah. Uh, it basically it looked better than any other curling sim. Like I think so with uh, the Nagano game. One of the things that I kind of vaguely remember is you swept to make the rock curl, because I think that they were confused oh. with how the sport worked when they designed the game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There, I you know I haven't so there was a really old game. This is going back to the '90s called Win Curl, which I think was the first computer curling game, and it it actually wasn't that bad. Um, the thing that would frustrate me is that if you got a decent setup in the house, the computer would make a raised triple takeout all the time, which <laughs> seemed improbable. <laughs> but it was actually all right. And then there was a guy who kind of created was trying to create like a pro curling game and he had like he had like teams like Furby and Martin in it back in the early 2000s but I, I owned that but it crashed and that's the last time I've played a curling game um, so maybe it's a chance to explore some of the online ones I know I know a couple of Oklahoma curling club members were into an online one you could play on Facebook back this is still a decade ago but there was a Facebook game at one point and uh, yeah I don't know so what are we going to do? What are we going to do with our podcast now? There's no curling gonna, to talk about, and we've told everyone to not change teams. Well, we've uh, we've we've got some people that we're scheduled to talk to that I think are going to be really cool conversations that we'll have uh, as we progress into April and May. And um, yeah, we're not going to be doing any reviews of uh, any world games. So yeah, uh, it seems like. Watching classic games has kind of been taken. Virtual broomstacking has been taken. So I guess we, I think we should dust off the Professor of Peel that we we used to have uh, a whole bunch of. So maybe we'll have, maybe we'll have you uh, give us some content that I can then uh, make fun of you for. Sure. What, do you want to get back to strategy talk? Sure. <laughs> I mean, we kind of got going with that, and the season kind of ran away with us. But I can start posting some of those blog posts again and maybe maybe we can dig up some classic situations and look at them strategically i know there's a lot of other people who do that uh kind of kevin palmer curl with math guys the the kind of original at that and it looks like john cullen's doing something on twitch which looks pretty cool um but i think there's space for i i, I don't maybe we, we won't do the same thing they're doing but I certainly think there's a lot of space for using some of the games on, on YouTube to, to, to talk about curling. So yeah. And if, yeah. Every, if anybody has uh, any topics that you want us to cover, um, please, by all means, reach out to us. We love hearing from you. Uh, you can email us at rocks across the pond at gmail.com. You can tweet at us at curling podcast uh, you can also find us on Instagram and Facebook at Rocks Across the Pond. Any of those are are great ways to uh, get a hold of us and tell us uh, tell us your opinions of, uh, of what we're doing right and what you'd like to see, what you'd like to hear more of.